0: Hello, all you Covey Clubbers out there and all you Reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour. And let's talk about, oh my goodness, there's so many of you in the financial world who started out in finance because that's what you were supposed to do. We're all good girls and we do the things our parents want us to do, which is take care of ourselves, support ourselves. And then, well, you know, after 20 years, it's like, okay, been there, done that, now what? What are we gonna do and how I'm gonna make my life more creative, more interesting, more worthy. And it's not deciding that being in finance is not helpful to other people. It's just not speaking from your heart. And that's what Dara Kurtz found. And she had a hard transition. She had to convince her husband, she had kids to walk away from a great job in finance. And how was she gonna do that? Because what she always wanted to be was a writer. And it's a long, interesting story about her own journey through cancer and um, a discussion about a mother who died very early when she was a young mom and how she sort of took the leap and decided she was gonna go with her heart's desire. And she did, and has written several books now. Um, And we're gonna talk about all the books that she has and about how she made that transition and the transition wasn't easy but she is where she wanted to be um, today and i think all of you will be very inspired especially those of you who say how can i write a book when i have no background in this and that's where she was and she made it happen so anyway i want to welcome the wonderful dara So, Dara, so glad to have you today. I'm so excited to speak to you. You're so interesting. Hi, I'm so thrilled to spend some time with you today. Great. So let's talk a little bit about your personal reinvention. I always like to start with that because I like to find out why people reinvent themselves and how they do it. So as I said to you, it's a little inspiration and some steps as well. So just sort of talk to me about your background and where you grew up, and then we'll go from there.
1: I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. And when I was growing up, I was always taught to go into something where I could support myself. It was really important that my my parents sort of instilled that in me, that you always want to be able to stand on your empty feet. You always want to be able to be independent. And so I ended up majoring in finance and became a financial advisor. I worked in banks every summer in between college and I really did like it, but it wasn't necessarily something that spoke to my heart. I always wanted to be a journalism major. I wanted to write books, but I was definitely very much encouraged to go down the
0: finance path. And so how did that all play out for you?
1: Yeah, so I ended up being a financial advisor and I, you know, based on society's definition of success, right? Society likes to define success and we and basically, I think that's done via dollar signs and the size of your house and how big your office is. And so I was on this path and I had done it for many, many years, really over 20 years. And it just, it didn't feel like it was speaking to my heart, but based on everyone else's definition, I was successful and we, my family was busy at that time. I had two daughters, my husband, I and. Mean, I was just a working mom running from one thing to the other, but I thought that's what successful people did. And I remember taking a walk and I can even tell you where I was in my neighborhood when I had this thought. And I remember saying to myself, something major has to happen to give me the courage to change what I'm doing and walk away from it because it isn't really what I want to be doing with my time. But at the same time. I knew that it was going to be really hard to walk away from.
0: So is that the golden handcuffs? Was it mostly financial or was also the fact that people looked at you as being successful?
1: I think it was a lot of things. I mean, definitely my ego was in there. Um, I mean, I, 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 and I liked what I did. I had great relationships with clients. Um, It was fun. I had a lot of freedom and there was a definite financial aspect to it. And, and so it just, on paper, it was, it, it checked all the boxes, if you will. And I think sometimes when we get into that space and we've done it for, at this point it was over 20 years, we sort of build up a, um, you know, where we are in our career. It's hard to walk away from something like that and to start all over. And so it, it just, it checked all the boxes.
0: So how did you walk away?
1: Yeah. So a few weeks after I went on that walk and had that conversation with myself out of the blue, I heard the words, you have cancer. And at the time I was 42, my kids were 11 and 14. And literally in that one moment, my life completely changed. And while I found it relatively early and had a lot of great things going for me, it was very very hard i needed to be and wanted to be as aggressive as possible i knew that would be part of what helped me find my peace later on down the road and so i ended up having to do surgery and chemo and radiation and a little bit more surgery and and it was a lot and it was really hard and after that i had changed and i decided you know what i don't want to go back i don't want to do that it it wasn't what really spoke to my heart. And it didn't, it didn't really, I wanted to help other people and I wanted to use my experience in a way that I felt like something good could come from it. And so after that, I didn't go back to work. I ended up quitting my job and it it was hard. It was a hard decision to make. I had a little resistance from my husband at first, but I remember saying I'm going to do this. And I need you to support me. And, and after a while, I mean, he definitely did after a while, but it just, it took a little time for everyone to sort of come on board with that decision. But I I never, ever will regret doing that. It was the best thing I could have done.
0: And so what did you end up doing and how long did, was this process? Is this a couple of years or just a few months or after you went through your cancer treatment. So it
1: was after I went through everything. And the doctor said, Okay, Dara, you know, time to go back to work time to go do everything um, that you used to do. And I really did a lot of work on myself in that space. I was really fearful. I had a lot of fear. um, You know, going through cancer is scary. And you, you have to make peace with the fact that that happened to you. And I really struggled with that. And so in that space of doing a lot of work on myself, that's when I decided. You know what? I want to write. I want to find my voice. I've always wanted to do that. And what am I waiting for? And so that's when I thought. You know what? I'm I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start my blog, Crazy Perfect Life. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I had, you know, I didn't have an assistant. I had, um, you know, just a work ethic and a desire to use my experience to help other people. And so, I remember we were on spring break with my kids and we I had a list of different names and my family voted on the name that they liked the best and that's how I came up with the name Crazy Perfect Life and I just started writing and at the end I knew that I really wanted to speak and I wanted to write books, but I didn't really know how I was going to get from point A to point B and and so for me I just knew that I had to start. And that's when I started that journey.
0: So you started writing a blog and then what happened?
1: Started writing my, my blog. And at the, gosh, at the time I look back and I think, how did I send out a new blog post every day? But I did. I sent out a new post every day and I was finding my own pictures and I was figuring out all the technology. And I just, what I was doing was finding my voice and getting used to, kind of writing from my heart and exposing myself and it was a really beautiful healing experience for myself but it also it seemed to resonate with a lot of people and my following really started to grow and then I wrote my first book Crush Cancer I started doing a lot of speaking and talking about that and that eventually led to me writing my recent book I Am My Mother's Daughter which is all about the connection between mothers and daughters from one generation to the next but um, I know that if I hadn't gone through breast cancer, if, if, if something hadn't have happened to give me the courage to walk away from my successful career, and I put that in quotes, I would, I, I definitely think that I probably would still be on that path.
0: So talk a little bit about what the book is about. And um, yeah, give me a little timeline. When did you write that book?
1: The, I am my mother's daughter. I wrote yeah. that. So I was working on another project. And then when my daughters were little, I used to keep mother daughter journals. And what that was is I had a journal for each of them and I would write to them and I would put it on their pillow. They would write back to me. They would put it on my pillow. And it was just a beautiful way for us to sort of connect and for us to Kind of maybe even talk about things like if we were having a disagreement or if I wanted to boost their self esteem. And so I had those journals when my daughters were young. And once I went through breast cancer, that stopped because really neither one of us was in a space where we could really talk too much or communicate about what was going on. And so they just kind of got shoved into a drawer. And um, randomly, I one day with my oldest daughter, we happened to discover the mother-daughter journal that we had. And it just came out of nowhere. We were so excited to find it. We started reading it. We were holding hands. We were like, just reading her voice as a little girl and my voice as a young mom. And it was just such a beautiful conversation. She went off and she went back to college. But later on that night, I was thinking, I wish I had something like that for my mom. And My mom passed away a few weeks after I had my first daughter and she had cancer. It was devastating for me to be in this space where I was a new mom. And at the same time, I lost my mom and I didn't know how to navigate that grief sort of followed me around like my shadow. And I just totally distracted myself, poured myself back into work. But later on that night, after finding those journals, that's when I remembered that, I had a Ziploc bag of letters in my house, letters that were written mostly by my mom and my two grandmothers. There were over a hundred of them that I had never reread. And that bag was just sort of at the back of a drawer in a drawer in the back in my den. And after the experience with the journals, I thought I'm going to pull that out and I want to see what those letters say. And one night finally having the courage to do that, I was blown away by how much wisdom they contained. but also I felt like I was having a conversation with my mom and I got to know her a little bit better from my adult perspective. And 20 years after her death, I was so grateful that I finally had the courage to read those letters. And that's when I felt like there was a book there. I set aside the project I was working on and literally just sat, and wrote and sobbed and, um, you know, really just it's from my heart to the readers and it's all about, like I said, loss and the connection between mothers and daughters and how we can grow our relationships and, and so many things, but I never expected to work on that project. It just sort of happened.
0: So explain, were those letters that she wrote to you and just left and never sent, or were they, I always never really understand how these letters end up in people's (laughs) hands. Yeah. That's
1: a great question. So um, the first time I went to sleepaway camp, I was nine years old and I started receiving letters. And at the end of that camp session, I took the letters and I stuffed them in a Ziploc bag and I came home from camp and I put that bag at the back of my closet and I was nine years old. But every summer after that, and every time someone gave me like a meaningful card or just, you know, I got something in the mail from my grandparent or something, I stuffed all of that in that same bag. And what happened was completely unintentionally, it became a pattern. And even when I went to college, and I came back from college, I would take the letters that I received that year from college and put it all in this bag. And so when my mom passed away and then eventually my dad got remarried and he and my stepmother moved into a new house, that bag made its way to my adult house. But I never had the courage to open that bag and read the letters because I felt like I didn't want to, I was worried that it would bring up so much pain and grief, so much sadness about not having my mom. And I thought that it would cause me to really miss her even more. And I had worked and was just working so hard on trying to kind of focus on being a happy mom and not on the sadness and the grief that was still there. And so it wasn't until we found that mother daughter journal. And I felt like, you know what? I was just so curious. That's what made me finally open that bag.
0: And what was your first impression when you opened it?
1: I sat and sobbed. I cried what Oprah said calls the ugly cry. I literally just completely like just felt so connected to my mom because I felt like I was having a conversation with her. I could feel her personality, I could hear her words, and also. She was such a positive influence in my life and had always given me so much encouragement. It was also sort of a reminder of how much she believed in me and how much she valued life. And I knew after reading those that she would never have wanted me to be stuck in grief, if you will, and to really let her death impact my life as much as it had. And so it was almost like it was permission to sort of let go of all the sadness in a way.
0: So talk a little bit about grief, because I think we're all kind of going through grief right now. And as we deal with all kinds of grief that this pandemic has put into our lives, how does that how do you look at it? You must look at it a little differently than other people.
1: Well, I think that there are different kinds of grief and I I get asked this a lot. I feel like right now with the pandemic, when it first hit, I mean, we all were sort of grieving the losses of our normal life and, um, you know, what that looked like, or even the plans that we had for ourselves. I mean, I, my book tour completely got canceled and I've been doing like a ton of virtual events, but that didn't look anything like I thought it was going to look. And that was a loss. Um, My oldest daughter was supposed to go. Abroad, and she didn't get to do that. That was a loss. My youngest daughter's a senior in high school, and you know, all of those things. So, I think every single one of us has experienced some form of loss over this pandemic. And then, of course, just the human factor, the human loss, and the toll that that's taken. And I personally have lost people that I really care about, and that's been very hard. I think that. For me I understand now that that grief is part of life and that when we love people so fully with our hearts we're putting we're, we're putting ourselves in a situation where we are at risk for losing those people one day and after having lost my mom you know I really felt that and even for a little bit of time I was scared to just so fully let myself love because i didn't want to feel that hurt and pain anymore but i mean i've come to realize that i'll never sacrifice any possible love or deep relationship or caring for someone because of the the fear that i might lose them one day um i mean if anything it's taught me just the value of time and how precious our time is but also how important it is to tell the people that you love and care about how you feel and to make sure that they know that and connect with them. But I think for me personally, I didn't know how to manage the grief and the pain and the loss 20, this was over 20 years ago and people didn't talk about it then like, like they do now. And, you know, I think that's, if, if my book can help people that are going through that and, and give them um, sort of maybe a little bit of a roadmap on what I've learned, then that's really something good that came out of something bad.
0: How did you get your book published? Is it self-published? Did you find an agent? If you're, again, we're looking for people who might want to do a similar yeah. thing, how would they go about it? And what what was your learning? I love
1: there? sharing that. I love this question. So, oh my gosh, I've learned so much. Um, when I went to publish my first book, Crush Cancer, I had a literary agent and she w- was in New York. She took my book out and we didn't. it didn't get picked up. Um, at the time I had a social media following of, I don't know, I'm trying to remember, but maybe like 75,000 followers and, um, I, but I wasn't famous and the, we, we just, it got so close, but we kept hearing you're not famous, um, or the, the shelf is crowded. This is book is already, you know, there's so much out there. So anyway, I ended up deciding I'm still going to do it. I want to get this book published. So I self-published that book with a team that helped me. And that's really what started my speaking career. So when I look back now, I'm so grateful that I self-published that. I had to kind of check my ego at the door because for a little while, I, I was just really Frustrated that it didn't look the way I thought it was going to look. But anyway, I am I did that. And then I feel like that experience is what led me to get the second book published. And I had a traditional publisher for the second book. So I feel like for anyone who's listening out there, you know, go out there and figure out what you want to do. And figure out a way to make it happen. And it might not look exactly like you thought it was going to look, but that's okay. It's just part of the journey. And, you know, for me, I want to write a lot of books. And so everything that we do is sort of like a step up the ladder, if you will, in terms of getting us just to the next thing. And then we learn and we grow and that's really kind of what self-publishing my first book did for me. But I would say for anyone doing it, whatever you do, make sure the quality is literally like the best possible writing you could do. And so, um, I hired at that time an editor and really worked with the team because if I was going to put my name on something, I knew that I wanted it to be as professional as it could possibly be. And hardly anyone's ever asked me who my publisher was with that first book. And, you know, again, it's sort of like a circle. If I didn't have that book, I don't feel like I would have been able to start speaking as much as I did. And so then the speaking is what sort of helped me get the next, um, the, the publisher with my next book and grow my social media platform and such. So it's all sort of related for anyone listening. I would say just start.
0: So just go ahead and start your blog. And then if you can't find an agent, You just go ahead and self publish. Now, when you self publish, then you had to figure out how to sell it, right? Because, yeah,
1: yeah. But I would say books,
0: you'd be in trouble.
1: Right, right. I mean, I would say if I was starting this today, to be completely honest with you, I don't know if I would even start my blog the way that I started it. Um, I mean, I've spent this whole pandemic basically writing for like 20 different publications. And I've hardly written a blog post on my own individual blog, because that's really kind of what's helped sort of promote my book, if you will, is writing for big publications. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's all sort of connected, but I've seen other people who have started building their platform, definitely on social media, 100%. That's so important. But also, you know, writing for other places, writing for bigger platforms that will help and then give you credibility. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day for me now, I don't really, I have an email list and I do send out an email to my email list. I try to do that weekly. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that doesn't. And I've given myself permission to sort of, you know, I do it when it feels right. But, um, you know, I think it's really important to write for other places and to sort of help yourself get that credibility and and fine tune even your writing when you're working for other publications.
0: Can you say specifically, I know this is a while ago, but how many books did you have to sell before anybody took you seriously enough?
1: I don't feel like it's really about that. Um, I mean, I feel like it's about building your social media presence and your email list and you know, putting content out there that is good, solid quality content and writing for lots of publications and then speaking at different places. And I feel like all of that leads to book sales. Um, I mean, honestly, like I don't even know how many books we've sold in this exact moment of I Am My Mother's Daughter because my publisher takes care of it. And it's just something that you know, I'm doing the best that I can every, every day to kind of work on marketing the book. And marketing the book is something that I think social media definitely helps you do. Um, But also, you know, other platforms as well, like radio and TV and um, podcasts and, and all of those things. And so I think for anyone who wants to start just fine tune your message, fine tune your story. That's what matters the most is, is what's your story? What's your message? What do you want to say to people? And then go out there and start saying it, start doing it. And you're going to learn a lot. You're going to mess up. Right. Um, I look back now and I think, why did I do that? But that's just part <laughs> of it. That's just part of the journey. And at the end of the day, you know, it's all about grit and hard work and resilience and perseverance and not quitting. When someone says, you know, um, we're not interested in having you speak or, um, you know, we don't, we're, we're already full, or we don't think that your voice fits what our publications about. You know what, who cares? Move on. And maybe that's part of what being a financial advisor that, you know, that helped me because I got used to hearing the word no a lot when I was a financial advisor. And we used to say, you know, just hearing the word no, that's just a step forward towards hearing a yes. And so if you're someone who doesn't like hearing the word no, writing and trying to get a book published and speaking and all that might not, you're going to hear no a lot. And so you just need to make peace with it.
0: But do you have a sense then did your what what made the difference when you couldn't get it published the first time versus the second time? Because seventy five thousand is no small social media following.
1: Yeah, I mean, that my, was
0: not I mean, are you gigantic now? No,
1: I mean, I feel like I'm over I'm close to two hundred thousand now. Um but, and that's taken a lot of work to grow that social media following. And, um, I'm happy to, that's a whole nother conversation, but you know, it, it was daily work of me putting myself out there and really being intentional about trying to grow that because I knew that that was important for, and it is still important for publishing houses, especially in with a book, a nonfiction book with a fiction book it's different. I think it's more about the story and the voice and I'm working on a fiction book right now. So I haven't been down this path yet with that, but with a nonfiction book, it really does matter who you are and your, your, who your following is. But also I had met a lot of people since I had gone down the path with crush cancer and I had networked a lot. And so all of those people really helped me. And I knew they would when my, I am my mother's daughter came out. And so I think for anyone who's starting, just put yourself out there and network and message people and see, connect with people, connect with other people who are doing what you're doing and learn from each other. And a lot of times you will meet people who are happy to support you. And there also were people that don't want to support you and you know that's one thing that i really learned but at the end of the day success is not finite i can be successful and you can be successful and there's enough success to go around and so i'll support someone any day and um you know i feel like as long as it's coming from a place of good intentions and then then everyone's going to benefit but um networking is super important
0: so you think you were more visible the second time around? I'm just trying to get at like for listeners to yeah, understand yeah. cuz you seemed pretty set for me from my opinion like wow what what was the difference between the first time and the second time? I think and the, it, the second just time being out there
1: yeah just being out there finding my voice me being okay. com- me being comfortable with who I was and what my voice was and okay. um you know me understanding that okay, the first time I did it, it didn't look like the way I wanted it to look, but you know what? It worked out. Things went well. And so I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to make it happen. And it was almost like my whole mindset was different the second time. I wasn't like so worried about, am I going to get this published? Because, you know, I just trusted. I was like, you know what? I really believe in this and it's going to work out and I'm, I'm just open to the possibilities. So the first time I was just kind of like, I don't know if my message is going to be well-received and I don't know if people are going to care about my story or want to hear my story. So it was almost like the confidence that I had in myself mm-hmm. that and just, um, I had gotten used to sort of putting myself out there and, okay. you know, everything we do, it's a growing experience and, I definitely feel like I've grown a lot since that first book was published. And, um, you know, sometimes the, the only limits we have are the limits that we set up, that, that we oh, put in yes. our own path. And, you know, I've really um, been thinking a lot about that lately um, because we can do anything we want to do. It's just whether or not we tell ourselves that we have the power to do whatever we want to do. And I really encourage everyone listening to this to really think about that. What limits are you putting on yourself?
0: Yep, exactly. Well, I think that's a good place for us to end here because I think a lot of people, it's called limiting beliefs. We don't realize we're putting limiting beliefs on ourselves and we're telling ourselves we can't do something. And sometimes we don't realize that's what we're saying to ourselves. Absolutely. You know,
1: instead of coming up with an excuse, figure out a plan. If it doesn't look exactly like you want it to look, then be willing to go back and revisit it and find a new plan.
0: Right. Exactly. And keep keep innovating because you can keep changing.
1: Absolutely. That's what's fun about life. I mean, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, um, you know, I love not knowing what's going to happen. I love getting excited about a new project. That's mm-hmm. the joy, the joys in the creating.
0: I'm with you. So Dara, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. And um, we look forward to checking your book out and hearing more from you in the future. Thank
1: you. It was so fun to talk to you.
0: So, thank you all for joining us today on Reinvent Yourself. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dara. I love, I just love these stories of the way women take issues that are devastating and turn them to their benefits. And obviously, if you've listened to more than one of these podcasts, you know that really, honestly, it seems like almost any impediment can be turned for something positive if you want to. A lot has to do with mindset, has to do with an open mind and optimism, and um, I'm hoping that this podcast will give you that sense of optimism and that sense of, hey, if she can do it, you can do it. And if you like discussion of reinvention, I hope you'll come on over to our website which is called coveyclub.com come visit all these reinventors and people who are in transition trying to figure out what's next for them come join us we have a lot of fun we have a fabulous app where we talk to each other in private with nobody scraping our information or following us around the web it's all private We also have a wonderful discussion about reinvention now going on on Clubhouse. On Fridays at 12 p.m., you can come find us. It's called Reinvent Yourself, and it's there um, on Clubhouse. And you can find me, Leslie Jane Steemore, and you can find our two wonderful reinvention coaches, Dana Hilmer and Wendy Parati, who join me in this discussion. Come and bring your ideas, bring your thoughts, come learn every Friday at 12 Eastern Standard Time on Clubhouse, if you remember. So I hope to see you there. And if you like us, please give us a review or leave us a comment. We would love to hear from you. So take care and we'll see you next time.